Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Like, uh, that's some like William Castle stuff right there. Like, yeah. you know, 
some stunt work right there. Yeah. Yeah. Give it, give them a taste and then take it back. <laughs> well, back Not then, word of mouth could really make a movie. Nowadays, word of mouth don't mean shit. Yeah. Well, that's because with the internet, everybody's got a mouth, so you know, it's not like yeah, but it's not still, like even if that everyone in the mouth say this movie's good, you ought to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel that way sometimes too. It depends on what your taste in movies are. I have a lot of friends who will tell me, "Oh, you got to see this movie. You got to see that movie," and. You know, uh, a lot of movies I'm just not particularly interested in. And it's not because I don't think they're good movies. I just don't care, you know. Like, meh, you know. You you and I, you and I scratch the surface, and we dig around, and we look for movies that are a little more obscure. And, and, and you know, that's how this whole thing started, way back when we were doing the blog, and now we're doing uh, the podcast. That's how we. That's how we first became friends. I think we first met on some obscure uh, website where we were. Well, no, talking like about I was mo- doing my list on uh, Facebook, and I was pulling out some weird shit that not too many people talk about. Right, and you and I became friends because of that. I mean, yeah, uh, a lot. A lot of people don't know this, but you and I have never actually met in real life. All of our interactions have been online and on our podcast and through our blog. And uh, so we've never actually seen each other in real life. So, yeah. <laughs> which, which is kind of a funny, uh, kind of a funny way to have a friendship, but we've been yeah. friends for a long time now. And, and, uh, and we both, uh, I think it's, that's a big part of our, our whole thing is we, we go digging. Yeah. Any, we can go see the new star Wars movie or the new, uh, you know, Marvel movie. And I, I like those films too, but you know, the reason I like talking to you and writing the blog and doing the podcast with you is because you and I go digging for, for the weird shit, you know, that a lot of people don't pay any attention to. And I figure out why the movie that inspired us to do these two shows confused us so much and that is yeah. it came out on December 22nd 1978 okay so it still had legs in January right in February right. of 1979 there you go there you go yep I, I, and what I would wasn't be the first one that you get the first uh, call. What movie do you want to talk about first? Uh, the first movie on my list is Blue Sunshine. And oh. if, if anybody out there has never seen Blue Sunshine, uh, drop a hit of acid and watch Blue Sunshine because, uh, yeah. Directed by uh, Jeff Lieberman, who was most famous for, uh, I think Squirm came out after Blue Sunshine, right? Squirm oh, was before. from there. Oh, really? I thought Squirm yeah, came Squirm out after. Yeah, Squirm was like 75, 76. Right. So Squirm is, uh, is a horror film about uh, 
killer worms, uh, earthworms, uh, or blood worms, I guess they're and called. And if you've only um, seen on the MST3K version, you really haven't seen it. Watch the uncut version. Nope. Yeah, that annoys me the most, man. I love I love MST3K. You know I'm a big fan, but they cut out the best scene. They cut out Wormface. That Wormface yeah. is the best. Yeah, and they scene. cut out a lot of stuff to explain it to fit their time. Yeah, yeah. But again, they were a cable network TV show, so they had there were yeah. there were some things they had to cut out, but but uh yeah, so uh, he directed Squirm, uh, Blue Sunshine. If any anyone out there has never seen it, it's a it's it's a really weird artsy film about uh, a group of people who take a bunch of LSD, and then years later they start committing murders and they don't really know why. And you know, spoiler alert for a movie that's you know. 30 years old or more. Jesus Christ, how old am I? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. The movie's almost as old as I am. Uh, it, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so they discover that the LSD that they took was tainted and uh, it uh, causes them to murder people. But it's a very psychedelic film. It has lots of vibrant colors. Uh, lots of really trippy visuals, and uh, even if you don't take uh, drugs before you watch it, you're going to feel like you took drugs by the time you're done watching it. Yeah. So. <laughs> and the look yeah. of the people once they start having the LSD flashbacks is just, what the fuck? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. This movie really mixes yeah. LSD, uh, Buddhism, uh, Hare Krishna, the yep. Yep. Well, you and I have talked about this on uh, other podcasts. Uh, uh, it it almost has like a weird Jodorowsky feel to it, you know? Like yeah, it, it yeah it, it mixes a lot of different uh, like yeah belief systems and and drugs and and just uh, just um, almost. Uh, what am I trying to say? Like an inability to control yourself in a situation that is normally under control. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and plus uh, then we yeah. were really starting to get in the news then about where they're talking about the LSD will build up in your brain and you will have flashbacks, blah, 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 blah. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I can tell you, uh, as someone who did a lot of LSD when I was in, uh, college, uh, I've never had an LSD flashback. Uh, I haven't done it for, you know, I haven't done it for uh, for a long, long time. But I've never once had one of these supposed LSD flashbacks. Uh, nope, yes, but never happened. <laughs> I'm not bald. <laughs> You're bald. Uh, <laughs> he's in denial right now. With tears running down his face. I'm not bald. You're bald. You're bald. No. I have one of those hipster haircuts where it's shaved on the side and then long on the top. <laughs> oh, horse poop. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I, 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 and I've been if you want to see Blue Sunshine, it's on Shudder. 
It is. Oh, all right. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's not – I don't think there's a version of it available in the Criterion collection, but uh, – No, uh, but Lieberman's selling it himself on his website if he's really, still got yeah. copies. It's right. a tripped out yeah. edition. It comes with uh, a photo of the guy, a tab of the acid. <laughs> oh, really? Well, yeah. Yeah. I might have to get that just for my collection. Is, now, is it is it actual LSD or it's just a prop? It's just you, a prop. You don't, he, Lieberman wouldn't tell us when he was on the show. He said you'd have to take it to find out. <laughs> that's what I was. That's that's what I was gonna say. That's what I was gonna say. Do you have to put it in your mouth to find out? So, oh. all right. Well, Blue Sunshine, check it out. And, and the movie uh, that you were right. thinking of that he was most well known for came out in 1980, and that's Just Before Dawn. Yeah, yeah, Just Before Dawn. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I don't know. I I always. I mean, I never really, I was never really a big fan of Squirm. It's a, it's a fun movie, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's more like uh, Blue Sunshine is more conceptual. Like it's, it, it's more of like something you Squirm have to think great, about. Squirm is great, but it's very slow paced, and all the action happens in one burst at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true, yeah, but uh, this kind of, uh, this kind of goes into what, the the whole reason we wanted to do this uh, podcast, these episodes of this podcast is, Just Before Dawn is a good example of how these 70s movies transitioned into the 80s, because Just Before Dawn, for those of you who haven't seen it, is kind of a proto slasher film. It's in that same vein as uh, some of the other early slasher films, such as Halloween and yeah. Uh, when well, I watched it, I didn't even yeah. know when it came out. I thought automatically just because of the shorts, the hair, and everything. I was like, "Yep, this is a '70s movie." Right, right. But I don't think I don't think it came out. You're right. I don't think it came out until 1980, 19. 82? 80. It, it was an early... 80? It, yeah, it was yeah, an early... Yeah, it was in the early 80s. Yeah, it was an early 80s, but... But, yeah. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. All right, well, that's all I have to say about Blue Sunshine. What What's the first one on your list for tonight? Uh... Well, going alphabetically, it's a movie that none of us, when it came out in 1978, no one knew or gave a shit about it. And then in the 80s, a book came out. And this book was the Golden Turkey Awards. (laughs) All right. And then when we watched this movie, we're like, is this supposed to be on purpose? Because this doesn't seem like a as bad a movie as all the reviews and the way the medvets, the snotty ass medvets, made it out to be. All right. And that's Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Right. Yep. I had that one on my list too. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, it really started the so bad that it's good, but they purposely made a parody of a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I were talking about this the other day, and I said, you can say, you can talk any crap you want about Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, not you personally, but anyone can talk any crap they want about Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but without that movie, we never would have had Gremlins. It, that, yeah. That is, it's the prototype. And Gremlins is a brilliant movie, and I love Joe Dante. He's a great director, and the special effects in Gremlins are way better than Killer Tomatoes, but it's the same sense of humor, you know? It, it's a similar sense of humor. Like, let's just come up with the most ridiculous thing we can come up with and spoof an old horror movie. I mean... And uh, it's a love there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, there's nothing better than, um, uh, there's no better way to frame it than when, um, uh, Dick, uh, uh, what's, what's his name? Dick, uh, from, from, uh, Gremlins, uh, Miller, Dick Miller. Yes. Uh, and when Dick Miller tells the story about the Gremlins, uh, tearing apart his, snow plow and tearing apart airplanes and and all that stuff that is a perfect example of how attack of the killer tomatoes influenced gremlins it's you know he's he's telling he's telling uh you know tall tales about things that he believes in but other people are just kind of like shrugging him off like yeah and that's another franchise we missed it's weird that this movie that the Mad Vads and all the reviews that didn't get it was calling one of the worst movies ever made. Right. Had yeah. two movies, two sequels, which weren't that bad. John Aston was great. And a cartoon! Yep. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. That was the biggest problem with the Golden Turkey book is that we started getting a hold of the movies that he wrote about in the book, and they were like, and then we were like, geez, these guys are (laughs) a-holes. Right? Yeah. I never paid much attention to what they said. Uh, When Attack of the uh, Killer Tomatoes opens with, a scroll that says it was inspired by Hitchcock's The Birds, I was already laughing before I even saw a single frame of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm going to miss her. A tomato, wait, my sister. <laughs> right? Of oh, course, man. the classic puberty love. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. And, uh, Oh man, there's so much crazy stuff that happens in that movie. Uh, well, they have a they have a pretty funny Jaws parody in there. Yeah. Uh, where one of the tomatoes attacks someone that's swimming, and uh, who's the what's the name of the character who's the master of disguise? There. Uh, I forget. Uh, 
uh, he has the name of some uh, some southern general or something, but oh yeah, Beauregard, I think, or something like that. Yeah, and he goes in disguise as like Hitler at one point and Lincoln at one point. Yeah, that 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 movie said it flat. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just you know, I was just saying that, that that's one of the things that makes this movie such a great parody. Like it's satire to the highest degree, you know. Like yeah. it's re- it's it, yeah. And it's there's really, a Japanese uh, guy who speaks like he was dubbed from a Toho film. Yep. <laughs> right. And right. before you go, that's yep. racist. In the movie, someone mentions that he's like, "You really have an accent, don't you?" And then he goes and he goes. <laughs> You're racist. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't It's a good one to watch to with your kids. There's nothing, there's no dirty jokes in it. Right. No. Nope. It's all, it's all fun. I mean, there is a, there is a little, like, you know, gore in it, but not, like, we're not talking like, you know, disembowelment and beheadings and stuff. It's not like that. It's there's a little bit of like, people get chewed up by tomatoes. But the worst that can happen is your kid is never gonna want to eat a tomato again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what will be your next one? Oh, let's see. What do I got next? Uh, next on my list was Dawn of the Dead. That movie, like, I changed, I uh, like everything. It set the zombie uh, rules in stone. It, cre- mm. it, it, yeah. it definitely created the glut. It was like, you mean you can re- release a gore film unrated <laughs> and it make money? <laughs> right. Well, I think Romero you know, you and know. Rubens have both said, and they said, What's the biggest thing that Donna the Dead did to change things? And they said, make money. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you and I have talked about this film many times before, both privately and on our podcast, so I don't have a lot to say about it, but well, it is one of my Well, one thing that we haven't talked about is the moment that really brought everyone into the film, and that's, I call, I've always called it the shot heard around the world. Right. Before that, it was chaos and nothing much happened, and then Foley goes ape shit, kicks in the door, boom. Right. After right. that, all bets are off. Yep. And it it did. I mean, like I've said many times before, it's one of my favorite films of all time. Let alone, you know, favorite horror films, but. It's got some it's got some stuff in it that uh you know looking back on it now we're you know we're we're living in a culture right now where uh you know we're trying to I've argued with this with some of my friends who are even more liberal than I am and I I think I'm a pretty far left liberal but I don't agree with the cancel culture, and I know that's a that's a right wing term that people are getting tired of hearing, but it's happening. You know, like we're 
we're uh, we're disappearing things that we don't agree with. Episodes of TV shows, movies we don't agree with. I, I you know, I hey, I, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, all right. So the South lost the Civil War. That doesn't mean that they don't have the right to keep their Confederate monuments up. I mean, it, that, and I understand. I understand people wanting to get rid of that the Confederate. I mean, I'm tired of us celebrating us losing. Right, Make right. like I mean, Yes, look at this. <laughs> what does this mean? We lost. We lost. <laughs> we lost. You Fucking idiots. But I, I, I agree with I agree that you know enough with the Confederate flags, but I don't think the statues need to be but torn down is, into pieces. Like, do we really need someone before Blazing Saddles, a five-minute monologue of someone ta- telling us that this language is bad? That's <laughs> right. part of the and joke. That, and and that's my point with uh, with Dawn of the Dead is you know one of the first scenes when they you know remember when they land the helicopter to fuel up that first time one of the best scenes in the movie when the zombie climbs up and gets his head chopped off but what's yeah. going on in in the in the other part of that scene two little zombie kids get shot to death now yeah. are we gonna are we going to delete that scene from the from the Blu-ray because, you know, because kids have been more getting shot? More people nowadays would be more willing to you cut know? out the scene of uh, John Amplis as a Latino. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, this is what I'm and talking when about. When I did I, uh, the episode as a tribute to uh, Romero when he died, I had John Amplis on there. I'm like, you're a production assistant on Dawn of the Dead, weren't you? He's like, uh, yeah. I said, were you the one who hired that idiot who looked like a bad Mexican? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, see, you you can say that because you're Hispanic. I I can't I can't go on and be like, I can't ask someone, hey, are you the one who hired that white guy that looks like a moron? I mean, I guess I could, yeah. but... I mean, all white guys look like morons. The story to me. is hilarious. <laughs> what happened was, is the amplist is on set, and he's like, "Go to makeup." Why? The guy that we hired to be the Latino, the Latino actor. Yeah, he didn't show up. You're Latino now. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> yeah. Oh, and man. what's sad is the. No, uh, only one thing has aged badly about it, and we didn't talk about this before, is that the mall culture. You're going to have to explain yeah. to the young ones, and I'm just right. saying this in general, what the mall culture was and why malls were so important. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, because when they first uh, – when, when they first – uh, come across the mall in the helicopter They even say Which I think is hilarious Considering the movie nowadays When oh it looks like one of them Newfangled indoor malls <laughs> You know Yeah malls they're, were they're, a new thing Yeah they were a new thing then And they're an, they're an old thing now Like uh, I don't know 
the mall that we Don have was here. The, this is going to surprise you, too. It was the first high-voltage gore horror film to hit VHS. Yep. Right? And that's how most of our generation seen it. Because uh, they wouldn't let us into the theater because it was unrated and it had that no one under 18 will be able to watch it. You mean I can't get in the theater to watch it? No. And we were walking around pissed off and then there were these stores that popped up with these boxes and we're like, can we rent this box? You got three bucks? Yeah. Okay. Here's right. the movie. <laughs> Right? Yeah. But no, nope, yeah. you're right. Uh yeah, I I have one of the original uh one of the original unrated uh versions of Dawn of the Dead on VHS. I haven't watched it in a long time, so I don't really know what the quality of because like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I have the Dawn of the Dead box set that has all the different cuts on it on uh, yeah. DVD and Blu-ray. So, but so I haven't. If it tried. wasn't for Dawn, we wouldn't have a movie. We're gonna talk about '79. We wouldn't have Maniac. We wouldn't have uh, Mutilator. We wouldn't have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. We wouldn't have yeah. the Fulci films. Right. Any unrated yeah. gore film that was released to the theaters owes the fact that it got a decent or a big release because of Dawn of the Dead making money. Yep. Yep. And no one sold the, That's what most people don't talk about when they talk about historical significance. Right. Any well, big film. Well, that's what we're. That's why we're doing these uh, next couple of shows uh, tonight and next week because we're trying to point out that yeah, you know, people need to understand that there is, you know, we don't see that anymore because one studio. Now, this is classic Hollywood. Okay, you know this as well as I do. Back when we first, what we first think of as Hollywood, uh, an actor and a director would sign with a, a studio and, okay, we're going to do five movies with you, you know. Not necessarily the same two people teaming up together, but say, you know, uh, one one director would sign and say, okay, I'm going to do five movies with you. And uh, an actor would say, okay, and an actress would say, okay, and, you know, sign up for five movies. And they would be contractually obligated to make movies like that. And what we're looking at when we get to to this point in film history is, um, you know, uh, uh, directors were able to go out and, um, you know, look for money wherever they could find it. So they weren't obligated to do more than one film for uh, for a studio, but if they made money for a studio, the studio would give them money for another film. You know, um, the, the contractual obligations from the early days of Hollywood, it didn't really matter if you made or lost money. I mean, it mattered to the, the suits upstairs, but you already had a contract. So they were just going to give you money for the next movie you wanted to do. It might not have been as much money as you got for your first movie because, you know, you 
didn't make money. So, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Look, I, you know, I work in a management position at my job. If, if we don't spend all the money that they give us for our budget this year, we're not getting the same amount of money next year. You know, they're going to be like, well, you didn't need it all last year. So you're not getting it all this year, you know? And, but that's, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Um, you know, we see directors like Scorsese, who is like going around begging for money. You know, like somebody well, give me really, some money. Yeah. It's like Scorsese had more flops than he has had hits. Never made a bad film. You know, like he's made some awkward films, but he's never made a bad film. Like, give the guy some but, money. Come on. Yeah. To move on and to quote a line. That Savini has said, there is no way that anybody would allow a film company to do what they did with Dawn of the Dead ever again. I'm losing you. You're cutting out on me. Oh, well, I'm still here. Okay. Is that better? You cut out on me. Yeah, I got you. But still... Do you think nowadays that they would give a little no-budget movie, like, okay, we have this big fancy-ass building. Here's the keys. We'll be back at 6 a.m. in the morning. Make sure it's cleaned up. Right. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, you you know, you see a lot of low-budget movies nowadays that obviously, like, you know, they film over a couple of weeks and get everything done and over with and uh you know i mean but yeah you gotta know somebody i mean think about like clerks you know that movie never would have gotten made unless kevin smith's boss was like yeah you guys can fool around in the store after hours just clean up after yourselves you know like that's we're not at that level of filmmaking anymore i mean what was worse? No. You know, I mean... You have to have insurance. Yeah, yeah. You have to have, like... You have to have some kind of uh, company backing you from the get-go. You can't just yeah. go out... I mean, you can go out and make an independent film and try to sell it, but most people aren't going to let you just run around. I mean, imagine a movie like... Okay, let's think about a movie like The Raid, Okay. Now, that the raid was filmed in one building, right? So yeah. if those guys had gone into that building and they're like, we're all martial arts professionals, we're just going to pretend to fight from the bottom of the building up to the top and back down again, and uh, we're all comfortable with that. There's no way anyone would have given them a budget for that without insurance and, you know, on on both the the physical participants as well yeah. as the real estate, you know? Yeah. You couldn't get away with an independent film like that. Yeah. And moving yeah. on, here's a couple little random ones. A couple. The first one is one that was pretty much the ass end of the 70s trend, which is animals attack. And that would be yes. the bees with John Saxon, John Carradine, and Angel Tomskin. That one is one of my favorites <laughs> just because it has one of my favorite bad Mexican lines ever, reading lines ever. 
Killer bees, kill my son. Killer bees, kill my son. <laughs> oh, and yes, bees is the one where John Saxon negotiates with the bees, and the bees end up like, okay, man, we won't kill y'all no more. Bees, <laughs> right? Bees. That's the actual ending of the movie. Yep. <laughs> yep. I love John and Jackson. Next I is the Bermuda Triangle by Rene Cardona Jr., John Houston, Andres Garcia. It's an it's a remake of Cyclone without the animal killing. And yeah, moving on. But next is Coma by Genevieve Bujold, Michael Douglas, and Elizabeth Ashley. What who directed that one? Coma? Uh, yeah. I thought it was yeah, I thought it was directed by um, uh, who wrote the novel? Uh, Michael yeah, Crichton. Was, it's the first big hit from yeah. Michael Crichton. Yeah, he directed it, yeah. Right? He wrote the novel and then he directed the movie, yeah. Yeah. Michael Crichton yep. was one of those. He had his first movie in 78, but he didn't become big until the 90s. Yeah. When he yeah, did that he little, did, he when he wrote that little book about dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I read that. Uh, it it was called Timmy, uh, Timmy and the Dinosaur, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you remember funny that? How things started in '78 that really didn't come into fruition until the '90s. Right. I mean, you would see Crichton books on TV movies in the 80s, but you rarely seen a big-budget adaption. This was a rarity. But actually, Crichton didn't write write the book, Coma. He directed the movie. Yeah. I have a a copy of it here on my bookshelf. Yeah, the the book was written by... uh, Robin Cook. Yeah. And he was a big book author in the 80s. He started the whole medical horror book, which is don't check into the hospital because they'll drug you up and sell your organs or do other nasty experiments on your ass. (laughs) Right. No, that's funny you brought that one up. I I actually thought that... uh, that Michael Crichton uh, wrote the book as well, but he, no, no, he did not. That's not the best I'm movie that Crichton it. directed. If you're looking for the best movie Crichton directed, it's not a horror film. It's a great train robbery with uh, Donald Sutherland and uh, Jane, Sean Connery. That one's fucking great, but, yeah. 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 And then I didn't, we have I didn't know uh, Michael Damien Omen 2, which is, I called it the placeholder omen film because nothing fucking happens in the movie besides a bunch of gory killings, but it's fun. If you got the whole set and you're trying to watch, if you're trying to watch the whole series, Damien Omen 2 is fun. But if you try to watch it by itself, it won't make no sense and it's not that good. Yeah. Weren't we, 
no, we I, no. I was thinking we were talking about the Exorcist a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we we weren't talking about the uh, the Omen, but yeah, I don't know. This is one of those things when we did our uh, podcast a few weeks ago where we talked about series that went on for too long. No, Omen could have been one and done for me. I liked the first one. The other two, See, I didn't really Sam Neill was great in his final conflict. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't do much for me. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not saying anything about the acting per se. I mean, I just I don't know. But like I, didn't I said, that if you watch the whole series in a row, they're fun. But if you try to watch them on their own, yeah. What's the next yeah. one on your list? Oh, let's see. What do I got next on here? The Eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah, and that one's famous because of who wrote it, not because of... uh, who directed it. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was always a favorite... For me, um, and yeah, so it was written by John Carpenter. For those who don't know, and it had a great um, had great performances by Faye Dunaway and Tommy Lee Jones, um, and it was directed by Irvin Kershner, who later directed uh, Empire Strikes Back. Did he direct uh, yeah. Empire Strikes? Yeah, or did he, I? I didn't know. I couldn't remember if he wrote it or directed it. But yeah, Irvin Kershner. And yeah, he directed this Empire. Was the first of two films that Tommy Lee Jones was directed in that had John Carpenter scripts, but John Carpenter didn't direct. So they worked together without working together. Why? Right. Right. All right. <laughs> But yeah, so, Eyes of Lord Mars is a great 70s thriller. I always get it confused with Fulci's The Psychic because they're pretty much almost the same film style-wise and plot-wise. Almost. I, I, always, I, I always try to tell, uh, I always try to, when I suggest it to friends of mine who are fans of, like, Fulci and Argento, I always tell them that this even though this was uh, an American film, it it has a very giallo feel to it, you know? It yeah. definitely has that vibe. It has that vibe. Uh, and, you know, which, written by John Carpenter, doesn't necessarily surprise me. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's possible, it, it's possible that's the reason why he didn't direct it, because, you know, he was leaning more towards, uh, you know, the slasher genre and, yeah, the films that he made. So maybe he, you know, maybe he wrote this one and sold it off to make some money but didn't really feel like it was yeah. in his wheelhouse. It was his eating money yeah. on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's what he literally called it, his eating money. <laughs> right? Yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's a really interesting movie for those of you who've never seen it. I would say 
definitely go out and check it out. Um, it's, and it's Tommy Lee Jones is great. This is the first real movie where, where everyone was like, who is this guy? He's good. Right, right. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a story that's been told since in multiple versions. It's oh, one of those Lord, weird If we had a dime for every time yeah. this movie's plot was ripped off, we'd be rich. Right. Right. But, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great movie about a woman who uh, can see, she's a, uh, she sees uh, visions of a killer who's on the loose, and uh, there, there you go. That That's all you need and to know And the only one who it. believes her is this cop, Timely Jones, who's uh, besides the protector. Yep. And uh, and then they start. Uh, what? Who's the other character? Uh, uh, the the other police, the police guy who. Oh no! It is Tommy Lee Jones' character in there who uh, starts talking in like multiple voices, like he might have multiple personalities. That, that's a, that's, that's this a movie is uh, little known enough where spoilers are. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, but yeah, check it out. It's it's a good movie. Next um, one I talk about before we get to the big big one is uh, the Evil by Gus Traconis. This is Richard Sancrana, Joanna Pettit, and Andrew Pine. So you already know you're going to have B-movie greatness with those three. Right. And the best thing about it, it has Victor Buono as the evil. The evil. I don't really, I don't really remember. I don't remember much about it. What it is, is Um, a guy who's, running in a house for uh, people who are a halfway house for insane people. So he takes over this house, but it turns out that this house has a gateway to hell. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Count back put it out on a double feature set with Grotesque with Linda Blair. I don't know if I've ever seen it. It doesn't sound yeah. familiar well, to me. Well, if, if just Victor Buono is the devil doesn't make you want to see it, then it's not going to be your type of movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does make me want to see it. I'm just saying I don't yeah. remember ever I don't remember ever seeing it. Yeah. And here is funny, Donald's dad and one of the first Night of the Living Dead rip-offs to come out, came out, a direct rip-off, came out in 1978, and that would be uh, The Wine of Death, if you've seen it in Italy. Or if you watch over here, The Grapes of Death, by Jean Rolin. Right. I know it sounds stupid. I'm going to describe the plot, and this one sounds stupid. 
Toxic poison wine sprayed with chemicals causes people to go crazy. It's more of a rip right. off of the crazies, wouldn't you say, than Night of the Living Dead? Or is it a little bit of both? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, um, yeah, it, it feels more like, uh, it's not like, um, like the zombie genre where you get bitten by a zombie and you go crazy. Yeah. It's definitely more like the crazies. Yeah. Uh, poison makes you insane and then you start acting crazy. Yeah. But yeah, um it's an interesting film though. It it's weird in in that seventies way. It anyone who's listening to this podcast knows what I mean when I say weird in a seventies way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And no. it was the first straight movie that Brigitte Lahe was in. And just that scene of yep. her standing there with the two dogs and the wind blowing her dress. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're incorrigible. Yeah, but she's fully clothed, and it's just a gorgeous. That's one thing about uh, Rolene. He makes the most gorgeous splatter films. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you got to say that's why we always talk about this. I always bring it up. One of the reasons why Tarantino is my favorite director is because and then there's just brutal violence that oftentimes comes out of nowhere. You know, I mean, it's just the he's you know. uh He's so good with the framing and the film, you know, the film stock and the, and the uh, lenses and everything that you're just watching this beautiful movie. And then all of a sudden someone gets their head blown off out of nowhere, you know, like. We'll save the biggest one for last, but getting to another one. This is the big one of my picks uh, of this turn. Uh, Have you ever. 1978, a movie came out called Day of the Woman. Gentle, yep. sweet title, but it flopped. Mm-hmm. Yep. This one's on my list, too, so this will be a good one for us. And then it came out and was re-released in 1980, and it was fully exploited up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, and now that what is, is, I now, what spit on your grave. Name to Stephen. I spit on your grave. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I like Day of the Woman. But this one, a few yep. times, I have to disagree with Joe Bob Briggs. He said in his commentary, if they would have kept it as Day of the Woman, it would have gotten more respect. And I'm like, no. Nope. Nope. Definitely this is not. It's a mean, nasty-ass little film, no matter how you slice it. It's not a fucking 30-minute rape scene halfway through the movie. It's it's a nasty exploitation film. Now, I appreciate the feminist 
stance of I, you know, day of the woman, but no, 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 no. I spit on your grave is a much better title for this film. Yeah. And it's the only I mean, one of the few rape scenes well, I've yeah, ever seen where someone is not having sex during the rape. They're sexually beating the shit out of the other person. They sexually beat the shit out of her. Right? Yeah. I mean, what are we going to do next? Last House on the Left is now called The Place Where the Girl Scouts Don't Sell Cookies Anymore. I mean, come on. Let's. No, it was called you know. The Virgin Spring first. But um, punch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. But um, Actually, I'll tell you a funny story about that. When I was in high school, our English teacher showed us the original uh, Bergman version of the Virgin Spring, and he made us all turn around and look the other way, and he fast-forwarded through the rape scene. So we could we didn't get to see the rape scene, but that was, that was weird. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, uh I Spit on Your Grave is a remake, essentially a remake of The Virgin Spring, and just much more well, no, disturbing last, and violent. Well, no, last was. I Spit on Your Grave comes from a story where you'd have to agree to read that, where Verzaghi said that he was going home one day while they're playing golf with a friend, and this woman come out of the park, and she was begging for help naked, and these three guys had basically raped her. And he was pretty yeah. new to the U.S., so he took her to the cops, and he seen how the cops treated her like shit. And it horrified him so much that he wrote the script. Right? Yeah. Uh... What was uh? What was he? He had another movie that uh. Please. What was no. the other movie that he had that also had like uh, the woman that got? I can't remember if she got raped or. <laughs> I take another pile of my brain to try to rape to wipe out the fucking part of my brain that has don't mess with my sister put into it. Yeah. That, that's what I was talking about. Don't mess with my sister. You didn't like that movie? I almost got my ass kicked because of that movie. My cousin looked at me. He's a gentle soul. But after that movie's over, he looked at me with genuine hate in his eyes and said, I should punch you in the fucking mouth for making me watch this. <laughs> It's a boring piece of crap moving on. Yeah, well, it's a lot more tame than I spit on your grave, so, I mean, at least you didn't make... That's not saying much. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But, yeah, he should feel lucky that you didn't make him watch I spit on your grave. Yeah. Empire by Andy Warhol has more action in it than fucking Don't Mess With My Sister. Right? I I still like it, though. I, I think it's an all right movie. I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of a shocking twist. I actually, when I bought uh, I Spit On Your Grave 
on DVD, uh, it came with Don't Mess With My Sister as a second disc, and I had never seen that one before. And so I watched it, and I was like, well, this is pretty tame compared to I Spit On Your Grave, but there's nothing like a double feature of those two movies to make you be like, oh, shit, Don't Mess With My Sister is really tame compared to I Spit On Your Grave. I Spit On Your Sister is such a bad movie that the lead just walks off the fucking movie at the end of it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? He just walks off. Yeah, when he walks out of the uh, when he walks out of the uh, junkyard at the end of the movie, he's literally just walking off the set. That that was not. It, it's like the end of uh, the Graduate, uh, when you know they always say the ending of the Graduate is so classic because they just sit there on the bus looking around like, oh no, what did we do? But the real mythology behind it is, oh. Uh, the director forgot to yell cut, so they just stared off into space because they didn't know what to do. That's the same yeah. as uh, Don't Mess With My Sister. That was a that was not an accidental uh, ending. I Sit On Your Grave is, was called a sexist film, anti-woman film, and no, no, it's not. No. Well, I... I would argue against that, though. I mean, yeah, it it is filled with deplorable rape scenes for a big chunk of the movie. But then, I mean, the reason why... The first of the film where they're fishing, the way that the guys talk about women, and those are the ones that the feminists and Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel said us guys were identifying with. Yeah. Well, maybe in the maybe in the seventies, like I mean, I didn't identify with those guys, and no, I was a no one did. I was I was appalled the first time I saw that movie, but you know, like like we were saying, the original title was Day of the Woman, and. Yeah, it's horrible that she gets raped by four different guys over the course of an entire afternoon, but the fact that she pops back up the next day all showered and clean and dressed and sitting out there on the in the hammock yeah, and reading her book and everything. Yeah, put her book back together and all that. Yep, and they're all like, what the hell's going on here? And then when they confront her again, she picks them off one by one. You know, like, yeah, that was the day of the woman right there. Like, she gets her revenge. The problem is that Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert watched the movie at a grindhouse, a sleaze pit. Yeah, right. You're going to get the different kind of reaction to that movie than if you watched it in a normal theater. They did. If you really looked at the reviews that they did, they didn't review the movie. They reviewed the right. movie theater. How can you fucking right? Yeah, yeah. You're not. Yeah, it's it's hard like that. And I think about that a lot of times too. 
you know, because obviously you and I talk a lot about movies and talk, you know, it, yeah, it depends on who you see the movie with. Like you were just saying, your cousin who wanted to slap you around because you made him, you know, watch a movie that made him uncomfortable. But no, he it's just the same thing. It was that boring. I don't miss my sister was that boring. <laughs> right? But, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, it, it, if you sit in a movie theater all by yourself and there's only a few other people in there, well, yeah, you know, maybe everyone's going to enjoy it because they're all there for a reason. When I went to see uh, – uh, I was a big fan of uh, Boogie Nights. So uh, when Magnolia came out, which was Paul Thomas Anderson's follow-up, I was living uh, in uh, uh, Virginia, and I didn't have any friends down there, and I didn't have any family every day. And I had to walk past this had to walk past this movie theater every day. So I just decided one afternoon on my way home from work, I was going to stop and see Magnolia, and it was a one just a one room theater. It wasn't like a multiplex or anything. They had one movie theater. They were showing one movie and it was Magnolia. And being a fan of Boogie Nights, I said, all right, I'm going to go in and watch it. And it was just me and two other dudes in the, in there. And they weren't together. They were all sitting apart. You know, the three of us sat there and watched it. And you, you know, you know, Magnolia is like a three hour movie. So, we all sat there for like three hours watching that movie. And then after we left, we all met up in the lobby and we were like, that was a pretty cool flick, right? I mean, not as good as Boogie Nights, but it was pretty cool. And then we walked across the street to a bar and got a beer, you know, like, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it, it, yeah. It, like, you know, the audience matters as much as the film, you know? And yeah, it's like I wouldn't judge. I wouldn't review a movie based on the audience watching a movie at the Knox, watching a horror film at the Knoxville Horror Fest. Then right. if I would right. watching the same movie with a bunch of non-horror fans, you're going to get right. an entirely yep. different reaction. Yeah, yeah. Well. I've mentioned this to you many, many times. You know, uh, my wife does not enjoy horror movies at all. She doesn't mind being scared, but she does not like the blood and guts. So, you know, if she and I sit and watch a movie together that's a gory horror movie, she'll either leave the room or she'll sit and watch it, and then when it's over, she'll say, well, that movie was stupid. But she's not appreciating it for the actual filmmaking. She's just not, she just doesn't like those kinds of movies, you know? Yeah, and I've now, seen a lot of people hate the original I Spit on Your Grave because of how slow and deliberately paced it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... I uh, I, I mean, even we skipped won. over the fact that, yes, there is a 26-minute rape and gore violence at the last of the movie, 
But the entire first reel, which is about 20 minutes, is nothing but set up. Yep. Yep. I did notice, though, that when they did the remake of I Spit on Your Grave, uh, they definitely uh, toned down. I mean, there's still a rape scene, but it's a lot it's a lot shorter, which... And the violence I mean, is ridiculous. How is this little girl who's nothing but a photographer going to know shit that a commando would fucking know? <laughs> right. Have yep. you ever seen Your Next? Yep, yep. All they have yep. in Your Next was, oh, I was raised in a survivalist camp. Yep. Yep. One line can explain, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm uh, not saying it in a bad way. I'm just saying that honestly. I mean, if they just had a line of her flipping through the photos, like, what's that? Oh, that's a survivalist camp I spent a month in taking pictures. I picked up a lot of tips there. <laughs> right. Uh, well, that's a, you know. Well, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, Mystery Science Theater. That's one of my favorite jokes that they use over and over again on Mystery Science Theater. Whenever someone just starts babbling on and on about how they got so good at something or why something's going on, they're always like, all right, thanks, Mr. Exposition. Thanks, Captain Exposition. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. I've always (laughs) been a fan of narrative shorthand. Right, and um, I don't, I don't know. Some of these filmmakers forgot that we're it's a visual medium, you know. Like show, don't tell. Like show me what's happening, and I don't need a flashback. I don't need a bunch of exposition. Just, just tell me the, just show me what's happening. Like I don't, I don't give a shit what this person did before the movie happened. And I don't care what they're going to do after the movie happened. Just show me the 90 minutes of this movie, you know, just show me the 90 yeah. minutes, you know, like, I don't need, I don't need all the flashbacks and the flash forward. And moving on, I mean, what's your, what was your next pick? Well, my next pick was, uh, I spit on your grave, but we just talked about that. Uh, my next one is Martin. Uh Oh, that is such a good movie. I've actually lucked out to find a very, very rare HBO video, and I watched it and rented it. I never owned it. It was gone quick when they sell out their TV. No, it got burned in a fire when some idiot, it smelled like an insurance scam, but I don't know, burnt down the video store. It was the one hour and 55 minute cut of Martin. Nice, nice. The only one yeah. that exists nowadays is the 105 minute version. Right, right, yeah. So, yeah, for so for those of you listening who don't know, Martin uh, was a uh, film by George Romero, and uh, I'll try not to uh, throw any spoilers on the table like I did. Uh, uh, a few films ago, but uh, um, 
it, it it's a it's a vampire movie, but the question that lingers throughout the well, yeah, but the question that lingers throughout the film is whether or not Martin is actually a vampire or just some kind of lunatic. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun film. Uh, I mean, if you like George Romero movies and you like horror movies, you'll enjoy it. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, this was uh, this was his next film after The Crazies, right? Like, uh, yeah, I think The Crazies was a hell of a yeah. year for Romero. Yeah, yeah, and just like most Romero movies, it has Tom Savini special effects, which are always fun. Well, this um, was the first time that they had ever met. Yeah, so this was the. So this was the first film that Savini ever did effects on for Romero? Yeah. Before then, he was working down in Florida for Alan Olmsby. Oh. Huh. I never knew that Savini did work down. Uh, I didn't I didn't know he did work for Olmsby. No. I never knew yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, the one about the Vietnam vet, Dead of Night. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And Deranged. Deranged, yeah. Huh. I didn't know that Safini did the effects for those, but to be fair, you know, those are movies I've only seen like once or twice, so, you know, you know. I, I, I'm I, the kind of person who knows more and more about movies, a movie, the more times I watch it, you know, obviously. Yeah. That's not like, you know, that's the same for everybody, but well, what happened if I see was a movie... that Savini went in to audition for the role, you know, that he did in the movie. And he's like, uh, what else do you have? He's like, oh, we're trying, we, get, we can't find the effects guy. We're stuck on a trick. And he's like, oh, what? He's like, how the hell are we going to do the razor blade cutting on the wrist. And he's like, oh, I think I may have something. And he's like, what do you mean? And he pulled out, and he reached in his kit, and he pulled out this razor blade and just went whap on his wrist, and the blood started pouring out. Like, holy shit, what the hell? And then he showed him the, the bulb on it. <laughs> right, right. He's like, you're uh, hired. <laughs> Uh, Martin was also one of the films uh, that the UK banned during their video Nasty Panic. Um, although, all in all, I mean, yeah, it's got a little bit of gore in it, but it's uh, it's a it's it's a lot more of a psychological thriller in my mind. Um, it was a band on its tone, which I do agree with, if they're going to ban it for that reason. Right. Yeah. It is a dour, depressing film, which is why I like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna commit, commit, you know. So. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it uh, it's an interesting film. Um, George Romero has a cameo in it. Uh, what he plays the he plays the priest, right? Uh, 
I yeah, remember correctly. Yeah, he plays correctly. one of the priests that does the exorcism on Martin. He has the best line in the movie, though. Yeah. Have you ever done an exorcism? No, but I've seen the exorcist over 20 times. That's a great fucking movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I think, uh, yeah, um, there's a Dario Argento version of Martin as well, isn't there? Didn't he do a, didn't he do a cut of that? I, I thought Argento did a cut of Martin too, which is what Yeah, 90 minutes. Yeah. And that's kind of what led them to their, uh, uh, their collaboration with Argento's version of Dawn of the Dead, right? I mean, I would Well, that I would comes assume. from the fact that uh, Night of the Living Dead made a shitload of money and no one had had, and no one had, and it's weird that until it come out, I'm a th- I think we have Mike Benjamin before, but Romero fought to not do the sequel tonight. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Argento, so Argento wanted to do it, or, or, I mean, we've talked yeah, about Argento this paid half of uh, the budget on Don. Right. We knew, we knew that, but, I mean, you and I knew that, but, um, so when Fulci made Zombie, that was an you know unsolicited uh, version of a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. No, that was a gun for hire job. Yeah, you have a hired gun. But that's next that next show, nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, I, I was. Now just, let's I get two just, sequels out of the way. It lives again, which is not that bad, and Jaws two, which. Throughout the whole movie, I kept thinking, that shark's an asshole. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, if you watch Jaws 2, everything the shark does is not, I'm going to fight for food. It's, I'm going to be an asshole and just cram the boat just to be an asshole. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't and know. And it's the one that has the infamous scene of the shark jumping out of the water and drained the helicopter down. <laughs> That's another one of those ones that we talked about before. Uh, a film series that I could have done without any sequels to. And I know this one's kind of... Uh, it's kind of uh, fluid because uh, Peter Benchley did write more Jaws novels and other novels about giant underwater creatures. So yeah, I understand. Uh, one about a giant octopus. Yeah. So Peter Benchley, the guy who wrote Jaws, ripped off tentacles. <laughs> right? <laughs> so... I don't know. I understand why they kept going with the series, but I could have done. I could have been one and done with Jaws. I mean, Jaws two, I don't hate, but Jaws three and four. Come on, man! Those movies are ridiculous. <laughs> like, oh, 
But, uh, no, it, and it my favorite is uh, one of the big carry exploitation movies, which there really wasn't that many, which is kind of shocking as big as carry was. Yeah. And that would be Jennifer or Jennifer the Snake Goddess. It has the exact same plot for Carrie, except instead of Jennifer being psychic, she can make snakes appear out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> right? Now, yeah. we were I mean, talking literally, about... it's like, boop, ah, boom, there's a snake on me. We were talking about this before we went on the air, and I never put this put two and two together but I started thinking about it today and it it's a very similar plot to Dario Argento's Phenomena uh, which also became known as uh, Creepers um, although in that film uh, the main character cannot make uh insects appear out of nowhere but she can control the insects so yeah. i know you and i were you and i were talking about this before we uh yeah. earlier today before and we plus, went on the air it doesn't have bert a uh, phenomena doesn't have bert conby in it <laughs> right well that is true but you know by the same uh by the same uh metric uh Jennifer doesn't have Jennifer Connolly in it, so yeah. I'm sorry, but Burt <laughs> Convy's hairdo in the seventies outranks any Jennifer Connolly movie. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer uh, is just pure prime drive in trash. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is a really fun movie. Um and yeah. And what's funny is uh, I want people after this show to look up the trailer for Jennifer on YouTube. You will not see one snake or mention of the word snake in the damn trailer. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we got this great gimmick. So let's not put it in the trailer. Why? I don't know. Yeah. Well, what if people see snakes and they don't want to come see the movie? The movie is 90% snakes. Well, we're just arguing semantics now, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is a it is a fun movie though. I mean, uh like I said, I I still even after you and I talked about it earlier today, I still equate it uh with uh Dario Argento's phenomena. I know uh that they're not related, but it's the, it's the same type of kind of weird movie where, yeah, uh, a young woman has psychic powers that allow her to control, uh, this, in this case, snakes, uh, in the case of, uh, Argento, uh, insects, but it is a fun movie to watch. Uh, I still, I don't, they, they never really explain how she's able to just make the snakes appear out of thin air, though, do they? Is that, no. That, I don't, no, they never really explain. Uh, you know, they explain a lot of stuff about how she's able to kind of control snakes, but they never really uh, 
under they never really uh, let you figure out how she's able to just make them. Yeah, and in the movie, Jennifer is a saintly character. She's so saintly that I'm not surprised that they didn't have people walking in front of her putting rose petals for her to walk on. (laughs) Right? And the bad guys are like fucking Nazis. There's just no way around it. They're evil. They're that level of evil. They even, warning, this is a warning if you want to see it, Kill a damn puppy. Nah. <laughs> they not only kill it, yeah. they hang it in Jennifer's locker and they skin it and gut it. I'm like, God damn. <laughs> mm-hmm. you yep. Know. Yep. That, that's one that my wife is never going to watch. She, yeah. you know, this, this is funny. Uh, you know, my friend Sean and I, uh, the the guy that I do, uh, that I make my music with and do videos with, he and I have had this conversation so many times. It is so much more disturbing. And he likes he likes horror movies and and sci-fi and stuff. He, he likes a lot of the same stuff we do. Um, he'd be a good guest to have on the show sometime, but I digress. Um, he and I have talked about this so many times. It's so much more disturbing to see an animal get killed or tortured in a movie than it is to see a human. And, you know, if you don't feel that way, then, you know, you, you know, fine, still watch the movie, still watch the whatever. But, yeah, if you don't feel like it's more disturbing to see an, a, a helpless animal get killed or tortured in a movie, then go fuck yourself, you know? Like, it, yeah. you know. Still watch oh, the speaking movie, of batshit crazy films, this is the last one before I pass it over to you for another one. It's Have you ever seen The Legacy with Catherine Ross and Sam Elliott? Doesn't sound familiar to me. What it is is that these five people gather at this mansion, and, uh, and this uh, old man who's supposed to be Aleister Crowley type is going to pass on his mantle. And they have some of the most bizarre out-of-the-blue deaths ever. Like this woman swimming underwater, then a glass plate appears on top of it. Uh, Roger Daltrey is eating ham, then chokes on a chicken bone. (laughs) No, I don't know if I've ever seen that. It doesn't sound familiar to me. It's 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 weird and wild, but like I said, it's got Sam Elliott in it, Let's see, uh, Catherine Ross. It's yeah, you weird. said Roger Roger Daltrey. Yeah. Yeah, Roger huh. Daltrey. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So, my next movie is Piranha. How do you like them the best apples? Best of the Jaws ripoffs. <laughs> yep. That's funny because we were talking about Jaws too, but yeah. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, I always it, it was always fun. I actually, um, you know how I always talk about uh, how much I hate film series that go on and on and on, but I kind of uh, I kind of like 
all of the Piranha films, even the newer ones. Uh, they're all kind of fun. But I always love Joe Dante, and this was one of the films that Joe Dante did for Corman, uh, Roger Corman. And, I mean, you can't do much better than a screenplay by John Sayles. I mean, he's written some of the best films. And uh, this was when he was first still getting there uh, as a uh, as a writer. He was still early on in his career. So, I mean, it's just a fun movie. And, uh, oh, who does the soundtrack for it? Uh, oh, Pino Dacino, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I was stuck thinking of uh oh I can't think of it but yeah I was I was stuck thinking of uh uh spaghetti western yeah they asked the so, John Sells he said what was the best thing about being on the piranha set and he said I got to see my wife's kids for the first time <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, the funny thing about Piranha um, uh, is they actually we were talking about Jaws two earlier, but um, yeah, Universal Studios actually tried to prevent Piranha from being released because they thought it was too much of a rip off of Jaws and. I mean, that's arguable. I mean, any movie, I mean, what, okay, so what about Grizzly? You know Grizzly, right? Like, I mean, that's basically Jaws in the Woods, you know? I mean, I'm from the South, and you're asking me if I know who William Girdler is. (laughs) Right? (laughs) All right. All right. Hey, all right. All right. Oh, and just look at the cast for it. Paul Bartell, Dick Miller in a cowboy hat. I mean, just can win. Yep. Yep. I mean, yeah. It had a great had a great cast and it's actually um you know Oh Barbara Steele. Yep, Barbara Steele. Yeah. Um, people, you know, a lot of times, and again, I'll go back to Mystery Science Theater 3000, a lot of times people take jabs at, uh, Corman and they say, oh, you know, he used the same, he, he built the set, he filmed a movie and in two days, and then he brought in another crew and filmed another movie on that same set two days later. And that, that's true. But it's also, you know, cost-effective. That's how he's made it in this business for so many years. But Piranha's a little different than that. Um, I don't know if he ever reused any of the sets from Piranha, but no. um, it, has, it, it, it has a really nice look to it. And yeah. I, give a lot of, I, live, I, I give a lot of credit to Joe Dante for that. And I, I've always loved Joe Dante anyway. Like yeah. I said, he, he's a great... He's a great director. He's fun. And we were talking about this earlier. I said, 
you know, without Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, we probably never would have had Gremlins, you know? And Yeah. Uh, Do you yeah. remember and, what the original title of Hollywood Boulevard was? No, I don't. But I have a copy of Hollywood Boulevard on the shelf right behind me. No. Cheap. Cheap? Yeah. As, What's as above in every movie that Roger Corman did in the 70s? His name. Right. So say his name and then the movie's title. <laughs> right? Roger Corman's cheap. <laughs> Roger Corman got pissed off when he seen the title of the script. What are you talking about? I'm not cheap. You got to change that. Uh, I can't remember the I can't remember the name of the documentary, but um there was a there was a documentary that I watched a few years ago that was about um uh what what was it? Uh, Roger Corman uh, filmed a bunch of films in in like the like Indonesia or he Philippines. I think the full title is "I'm a Cheap Piece of Shit" movie that was stolen from Andrew Levinold. And then made into a wank fest about Roger Corman when it was really supposed to be about the Filipino film industry. But fuck it, let's make it anyway. Oh, I know what movie you're talking about. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm there. I know what movie you're talking about. The full title is, well, I stole this idea for a movie from Andrew Levinold, which is supposed to be about the Filipino film industry, instead made a piece of shit movie about Roger Corman when it was supposed to be about the entire Filipino exploitation industry. Or Machete yeah. Maidens Unleashed. <laughs> right? That's a true story yeah. I just said. I've never liked that movie. <laughs> right? Damn. All right. So what do you got next? Speaking of William Girdler and Grizzly, he had his big hit in 1978, and that is the Manitou. She's got a in her. It's got Tony Curtis as a psychic whose girlfriend gets a Wendigo fetus in her neck. Yeah. This this is one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen in my life. I don't. I don't know. In her neck? Right? 
he was a busy motherfucker in that year. Right? Um, I, maybe, I mean, Stranger in Our House was a little more psychological, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, that was, it was a little creepier. A little yeah. creepier to me. Mm. You know, That's back uh, when, uh, in the 70s, I'm warning you, if you get into 70s TV horror movies, watch out. They had balls back then. They weren't afraid right? to scare the shit out of you. I think uh, Stranger in Our House kind of reminds me of uh, The Stepfather, you know? Or uh, Bad Ronald. What's that? Don't forget Bad Ronald, too, from the 70s. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, Stranger in Our House is weird because it's a witch movie that doesn't have much witchcraft in it. Right. Yeah. But, but it, someone it watched just... me. I'm checking on it. I think it's another one of his. He did, like, three stalker films in the 70s. Right. Yeah. I'm checking to make sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 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 Uh. Well, we talked about how um, uh, how they kind of pushed Halloween back. So, did Carpenter make this before or after Halloween? Probably before, because remember, they cranked out the TV movies pretty quick. I think, yeah. like I said, he uh, took all the money that he made from uh, Isalor Mars uh, and his other stuff and funneled it back into, he had a choice of, I forget what the other one was, but the one that he decided to go with was the babysitter murders. Right. Yeah. Uh uh, and the we'll, only let's just person... into that one right now. Yeah, the babysitter murders. That was the original title for Halloween. Do you think we'd be talking about Halloween today if it was just thrown out as the babysitter murders? <laughs> right? No. No. That's just a goofy title. The only thing I can remember, I haven't seen that. Uh, this movie, I mean, not Halloween. I, obviously, I've seen Halloween a thousand yeah. times. Uh, the only thing I can remember from uh, someone's watching me was was Adrian Barbeau in that. That was like no, Lauren when she. That was one of her like young, like when she was younger, right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I can't really remember much about it. It's just your average TV stalker movie with a pretty Angelina at the moment. Right. But Halloween, damn. Yeah. Halloween. That one 
until Blair Witch Project, it was the number one money-making independent film of all time. Yeah. And then the 90s changed what an independent film was, and then the record really didn't mean shit anymore. Right. But, yeah. Uh, Well, that's what I was talking about earlier when you you asked if I knew, like, the number one independent film of all time, and I said Halloween, but we weren't talking about Halloween yet, so... But yeah, yeah, I knew Halloween. I knew Halloween was number one for a long time. But yeah, now, now everything's skewed. But it's also <laughs> a different. It's a different landscape now. You know, like everything. There's so many different ways to release a film now. I could shoot a film. I have, I have a video camera, a green screen, light. Uh, two cell phones, two tablets. I could film a movie here in my friggin' living room and did and it just, then just good. Post. Yeah, exactly. And then I could just post it on Facebook and you know be like, hey, I made a movie. You know, I got I got wigs, I got costumes. I could you know, I could make a movie in my house that would look you know as good as any of the independent films that we saw in the seventies, but. You know. Yeah. yeah. Halloween had that one thing that it's hard to really get, even that doesn't matter what you shoot it with, and that's atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Halloween is a creepy friggin' movie, man. I've seen it probably a hundred times in my life, and it still creeps me out, you know? Like, it, it creeps me out in a way that as much as I love uh, all the 80s slasher films, and again, that's what we're trying to get at here is how the movies from the late 70s uh, bled into the early 80s and kind of set the tone. As much as I love Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, yeah, Halloween kind of really, really set the tone for like creepy horror movies, you know? Yeah, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, they have some nice gore and they're kind of freaky, but Halloween is a creepy fucking movie, man. It it has atmosphere for for weeks, for sure. And, yeah. and one of the greatest scores ever. You can't go to a haunted house without dun-dun-dun-dun or dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. The main thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's creepy. I mean, well, there's really no gore in the first Halloween. No. No, it's it, it, uh, it's pointedly subdued. Uh, it, you know, it, it's one of those things like, uh, people always talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre being so gory. Um, yeah. It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre is disgusting. There's a lot of bones and gristle and stuff scattered around in the house, but there's really not that much gore in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre that, you know, even, even when people are being murdered, uh, 
even on-screen murders don't really involve that much blood and guts. I mean, you know, I mean, you think about hanging, you know, hanging a girl on a meat hook and in a modern horror film, like let's say Eli Roth did a movie where someone got hung on a meat hook. He'd do a close-up on the back as, as the meat hook dragged down and ripped her back open and he'd show the spine and, you know, yeah, look at that. Yeah, but I mean, there's so many stories you hear from people talking about the movie. Yeah, yeah, Halloween. What was weird is how they released it. The full story is is that uh, Mustafa Akkad released it for about six weeks and let the reviews come out, which were great across the board and all that. And word was starting to build. Then he pulled it from theaters. Yep. And then he waited six to eight more weeks and then saturated TV, posters everywhere. The movie that you wanted to see is back. <laughs> yep. Oh, shit. Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it actually lived up to the hype. Yeah, yeah, it is, I mean, like I said, it's a great movie, people, people look at it as a, you know, like, oh, uh, oh, it's such a great horror film, but no, I think you and I are on to something talking about it, it's, it is a horror movie, but it's not a slasher film, which people often say, that Halloween is the film that ushered in the new era of slasher films, but it's not. It's not like that. It's not like your Friday the Thirteenth or your. It's a, it was uh, a free punch. Yeah, yeah. Black Christmas, nineteen seventy-five. Halloween, nineteen seventy-eight, and Friday the Thirteenth, nineteen eighty. Right. But yeah. I just, I feel like Halloween is a different kind of flick altogether. Um, yeah. So, but, but speaking of which, um, we only got a little more time, and I had one more movie I wanted to talk about. And, and this is going to be the most 70s movie, and this was done on purpose of the whole show. Well, it had to be. What do you got? No, it's yours. I know which one you were going for. Oh, oh. Uh, mine was the Toolbox Murders. That was my last one on my list. That one's okay outside of Cameron Mitchell's great fucking performance. Otherwise, eh. I was thinking about the one that, well, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And that one is the most yeah. 70s movies because it had it was it had to be because it was set in that whole era of EST self-help gurus. Yeah. No. Nope. We can talk about that. I mean, Invasion yeah. of the Body Snatchers uh I I just I just brought up the Toolbox Murders cuz we were 
talking about, uh, you know, how the 70s led into the 80s slasher thing, and Toolbox yeah. Murders does have some actual gore in it um, that kind of leaned into that. But, uh, yeah, I'll talk about Invader of, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers for sure. I Actually, it's funny that you brought that up because, we didn't talk about that before the show this week, but I just watched it uh, the well, other day. That's the movie that inspired us because I was like, we got to do 79. Why? Because you love Amazing the Body Snatchers. The Body Snatchers is a 79. I'm like, then I looked it up and I was like, 1978? What the fuck? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was released on December 26th. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> So yep. this movie is the connecting tissue between 78 and 79 and why we picked these years. Right? Yeah. Uh, it, I love uh, I love Invasion of the Body Snatchers because it's the, it's the true definition of it's a combination of sci-fi and mystery you know they're they're actually trying to solve the mystery they know they know that something's wrong but they can't prove it and they're trying to solve the mystery the whole time and um you know it's an it's an interesting plot and uh it kind of reminds me of uh Oh, what what was what's the movie? Uh, the day the day the world the day the world ended is that is that the one with the plants? Is that the sci-fi flick that I'm thinking of? The day of the uh, triffids. Yeah, day of the triffids. You got it. Yep. Yeah. That's why we. And I consider a this movie. a sequel to the '50s films, and people have fight me over it. And uh, even Kaufman has said that. Yes, it's a sequel, and yes, the Kevin McCarthy cameo means what you think it means. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's a great movie, and it has one of the best twist endings, you know. Hey, hey, uh, it's become a meme. Oh uh, well, fuck that. That's 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 on the millennials. You and I are old men. Yeah, but they at least the beam gets the point of it because most of it is like pointing at someone who's not one of us. You know, <laughs> you're not one of us, right. and then they point that. <laughs> but it really is so heartbreaking. Yeah. But yeah. But if no. you notice, every character in the movie, except for Donald Sutherland, is working in the business of finding yourself, of finding your true self. Like, one's a shrink, uh, Leonard Nimoy's a, a, a guru into that EST shit. Right. Yep. One of them's a psychiatrist, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, oh, and what, yeah. 
And then so the sense of loss of self is is a very deep undercurrent in the movie, which I like. Right. Yeah. It's like the fir- like we said the first we talked about the thing. The first one, the 50s one, is set in the 50s. This one has to be the most 70s movie of it can be because it is a movie of its moment. Yeah. Yeah. There, you, you can't watch it without just feeling that 70s vibe. And, you know, that might not exclusive to you and I, but you and I are of, are close in age and we lived in the seventies. If, if you watch this movie and you don't feel the seventies rubbing off on you, then you didn't live in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's got all, it's got all the, uh, got all the trappings of the seventies right there for you. So, but yeah, and it's great uh, as a sequel, and it's great as a standalone film. I like that—the fact that they were able to do that. You know, take the idea of invasion of the body snatchers, and update it for its time and moment, and not lose anything. Yeah, I I I would argue that it's better than the original. I I think it's a, I think it's a better film than the original, but again. That might just be my, you know, it's like the same thing. I think the 80s remake of well, The Blob is better than the 50s. With. Yeah. Again, that 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 could just be me projecting because of, you know, of the era that I was raised in, you know. Like, yeah. I like both films, but I like the 80s one better, you know. I like. Uh, who uh, who did the who was it that did the the newer one? Was that Abel Ferrer? No. Yeah, Abel did the '90s one. Well, that was uh, the best of that whole time period. You had a uh, Stuart Gordon. You had Larry Cohen. You had Abel Ferrara. There's no way that any was like. There's no way that nothing interesting could not come out of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that looks good. Well, we're heading into our last five minutes here. You got anything else you want to talk about or mention before we uh, sign off yeah, for another week? Yeah, really was the start of the fire. And you'll see it really kicking the gear in 1979 because. It's ironic that Dawn of the Dead come out and the best of the Dawn of the Dead ripoffs came out the next year. And the thing yeah. is, 1978, the one with the message. Ooh, it was great. 1979, the one that says, just get you some popcorn and have fun. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, all right. It's great. <laughs> All right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, again, our whole point here is to uh, just try to discuss some films uh, to, you know, that Stephen and I felt like kind of paved the way for the horror movie boom of the 1980s. So, 
Next week oh, we are going to discuss uh, 1979, and uh, I've got a if hard you go question for you to close it out, and yeah, I want people to listen to it. To listen to this, get back to me with this. Which had the better opening what? credit scene? Oh, my favorite opening uh, credit scene. Yeah. Oh man. And I've narrowed it down to two. Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Donna's the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Well. That's a tough. One. Yeah. Well. Well, the if I had to Halloween, choose, but the best of Halloween well, is the pre-credit sequence. Yeah, I was gonna say I would choose Halloween, but we've shuffled Halloween back and forth between '78 and '79 a couple times here, trying to, you know, so. I'm going to have to go with Dawn of the Dead because it is one of my favorite films of all time, so it's got to be Dawn yeah, of the Dead. Yeah, that is great. I mean, that whole chaos of that scene. What are you voting That for? thing could be put on the national news today of two people debating about the election, and you wouldn't have to change a single fucking shot. Well, about COVID, too, and you wouldn't have to change a single fucking shot. Maybe a couple of words. Zombie and the virus. COVID, you know. Right? And we lost him. Well, good night from us all, and we'll see you next week. And as always, happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs>